Isn't that great? Talented people around here. As I said, they created that just for us in celebration of our step in and our move to this new location. Uh, And I wanted to show you some images. You might have seen them as you were walking in from outside, uh, but here they are again. This is uh, an interior look, so when you walk through this future home, this theater, uh, it won't maybe not look exactly like this, but it'll look something like this uh, with directional stuff. The cool thing about this is that the, the designers who are working with us on the, the layout and the interior and stuff, they actually grew up in Huntington Beach. So they went to this theater when they were kids, uh, when it, before it was a Regency, back when it was in Edwards. And so they have stake in making this great and honoring the past, but moving us into the future. Uh, here is another image of the interior of like the welcome to the kids area. So uh, theaters one and two, theaters, theater one will be kind of a mixed use, multi-purpose. Theater two will be exclusively children's. There we'll check in, walk through those doors. That will be awesome. The last slide is... The auditorium, isn't that cool how they did that? So what's currently now, if you go to the movie theater, you walk in at the straight ahead or theaters four and five, we're going to take down the wall that separates them, create one mega theater. It'll have about 800 seats, and those will be entrances to this mega theater. Isn't it a beautiful thing that the place where for years people have gone to check out from their lives and to be entertained, now we'll go to be encouraged and to get a new perspective on life, new hope for life. And we're extending this to everyone that we know in the community. This is the second busiest intersection in Orange County. It's going to be this beacon of light and hope and encouragement for all kinds of friends, family, relatives, co-workers, kids, coaches, people that you know. So we're really excited about that. You will continue to see things uh, week after week. We're going to hand out things to you. You'll get new fun handouts and, and ways that we're talking about it. The first one today is this prayer card. You'll see it in your bulletin that you got when you walked in. I want to encourage you to join us for the next 30 days in praying for this transition. We've listed out things that you can pray for day one. It can be today or tomorrow, but Uh, Just make it today. Pray for leadership in our city, the mayor and city leaders. We talked about, last week we talked about the book of the story of Joshua and stepping into the water. And we used this verse, verse 3, 5. It says, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Consecrate just being a fancy word for prepare, dedicate. So, As we are preparing for this transition, we pray. And over the next 30 days, we're going to be intentional. And because this is Joshua 3.5, I thought it would be appropriate if at 3.05 every day, we all prayed. Just take 30 seconds at 3.05. I have it built into my phone already. Reminder is going to pop up at 3.05 today. I'm going to pray. If you have the card with you, pray. We'll all be praying the same thing. If you don't, you just pray generic prayers. Just say, God, help us get from here to there as a church. And then personalize it. God, in my own life, help me get from here to there, wherever you're leading me. I think that would be a fun habit to establish. And we can all be praying in the same direction together at 3 
5. Next week we'll premiere another film and we'll do some other stuff. It'll be fun. But this week, this week, I want to take us back to a study in the legendary Apostle Paul's letter to the Romans. We're going to be looking at Romans chapter 7 this morning. But first, I, I heard a rumor that there's a movie that's coming out in December, something called Star Wars. Is that, a, is that it? Am I saying that right? Star Wars? Uh, the, the tagline, the subtitle for this movie is The Force Awakens. Who are my Star Wars freaks that are going to be sleeping out overnight that have had this circled on your calendar for months? Okay. The Force Awakens is the subtitle of this movie, uh, and it has to keep awakening, doesn't it? Because there's a dark side. The dark side just keeps on coming, and there's a force that needs to be pushing back the dark side. Cheesy pastor transition. Did you know that there is a dark side in this world? Did you know that our movies in Hollywood, they point toward truths? The most successful movies are pointing toward things that are actually true of life. There is a force. There is a dark side that opposes. There's a dark side in me, and there's a dark side in you. And as much as you try to push it back, it's resilient. That thing just keeps on showing up. I grew up with high expectations on me as a kid. My grandfather was a pastor. He pastored a church in Victorville, California, which is up the 15. You stop for in and out there on your way to Vegas. That's probably how you know Victorville. My grandfather pastored a church there for 25 years. And any time as kids that we would visit, uh, like my family standing up here, we made Jack uh, put on a button-up shirt. I don't know if you noticed. Uh, and he did not like that. Neither did I as a kid. And any time we went to Grandpa's church, we had to dress nice because we knew we were going to be sitting in the front row and that Grandpa was going to make us stand up and turn and wave to a thousand people <laughs> that we didn't know. And then they were going to come up to us afterwards and pinch our cheeks and they're like, oh, you must be just the most perfect little children. Your grandparents are so wonderful. And we're like, okay. And then, my, and then my dad was the vice president of Young Life, which is a Christian organization that works with teenagers. And he was over all kinds of staff. That then I'm are seeing me as, oh, this you know, golden child. You're, you, know, you guys must be the perfect little family. And I'm like, probably not. Because inside, I know that there's darkness. And as a kid, I knew it. And as a teenager, I knew it. And as much as I tried to push back the darkness, it has a way of just creeping back in. I remember when I was in college, I thought, I'm going to get really serious about discipline and about my behavior. And I'm not going to tolerate these silly sins anymore. And so I woke up every morning at USC. I woke up every morning for four years and I read my Bible at least for like 90 seconds. Uh, but it was like my discipline. I'm going to read. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to pray. I'm going to do this thing and I'm, I'm going to sin less. I'm going to be better. I'm not going to do the bad things that other people do. I'm going to figure this out once and for all because I can't, I can't embarrass myself and my family. There's too much expectation the stakes are too high. I just got to uh, grip my teeth and be strong and be good. But the darkness didn't go away. It just kept coming back. And so I'd try harder and be more disciplined. And I found myself resenting other people that seemed like they were having more fun than me. And I'm like, oh, 
You call yourself a Christian. You're not as disciplined as me. I don't do those kinds of things. I don't go to those kinds of places. I don't drink that much. I don't. (laughs) And I would judge. And I would look down on. Because in the inside, I'm miserable. I'm just trying to be good. And I've got chains on my hands trying to keep myself from doing bad. And and chains on my feet trying to keep myself from going to bad places. Working so hard. And you know what? Secretly wanting to do the bad stuff that they were doing. And then I'm just torn up inside this conflict from within. Because the darkness keeps rising. You know what they call people who are judgmental but secretly want to do the same stuff? Hypocrites. The term literally means play actor. You play the part. You have the script memorized. You know the hand motions. You know how to stay within the lines and not do the really bad stuff on the skin on the sin scale that gets into he's got a problem range, you know. But it's still there on the inside. And you're like, oh, shame on them, shame on them. That's called hypocrisy. And what makes it even worse is when I'm doing all the right stuff and God still isn't blessing me. What gives? Like, I'm, I, I'm chaining my hands and feet here, not sure if you're paying attention. I'm not doing all the sinful stuff. I'm not one of those fake Christians. I'm better than them. I am, I am holy. I'm on this right path. I'm prying blessings from your not-so-generous fingers, God. And then when he doesn't or when my life goes sideways and something bad happens, then it makes you just want to quit, doesn't it? Well, forget this. Why am I going to be so disciplined? Why am I going to be so religious and look the part if you're not even going to bless me? If I'm still going to go through the same terrible circumstances as everybody else, if I'm going to lose my job, if I'm going to get a divorce, if I'm going to have all these terrible things happen, why should I even follow you? Why is this even worth it? Because we're miserable on the inside, trying to restrict our behavior. Because there's a spirit of religion. You feel it. You've heard it. These people have influenced you too. And it says, you should, but you struggle, so you're in trouble. Your willpower is just not good enough. Your strength just isn't there. Well, maybe, maybe if you would have grown up going to church from a little kid, you'd be better by now. Well, maybe if you wouldn't have had that season of rebellion, then, then you would be further along. Uh, it's, it's a shame that you can't get that thing sorted out in your life because you should, but you're struggling, and so you're, you're, in, you're in trouble. For some of you, it's a miracle you ever went to church. Because that's the way you felt, right? That people were just going to wag their finger at you and say, ah, you should, you should, you should, you should. Why show up at a place like this? Because you know in your heart that the darkness keeps coming. So if your perception of, of church or followers of Jesus is that, I'm amazed that you ever 
ever came in the first place. I wouldn't have wanted to. Fortunately, it's a little bit different than that. Romans 7, 7 says, what shall we say then? Is the law sinful? The rules, the regulations that tell us what to do and what not to do? Certainly not. It's not sinful. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law. For I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the command, produced every kind of coveting in me. You can relate, can't you? Because it says don't covet, all of a sudden it exposes everything in me that wants to covet everything. And I'm like, what the, if I didn't even hear that, maybe I wouldn't. But now that I've heard that, I do. And I just, I just want everything. And I, you shouldn't have that. I should have that. Wait a minute, that's the dark side of me. I got to get that. What's, what's wrong with me? So Paul, the famous apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, who, who they do stained glass with this guy's mug, he's saying, this is a problem for me. I, I, I heard about not coveting, and it just made me want to covet. I was uh, six years old, I think, and I was in preschool, or yeah, five or six, kindergarten, and some kids in the playground were telling me about how they stole stuff. And I was like, what? You got that little tingle? You're like, and they like, they pull it out. I was like, I stole this from the grocery store. I'm like, you did? <laughs> There's like this nervous and excitement that runs, rushes through me. I'm like, oh man, that's bad. Uh, and then the next time I go to the grocery store, I test it out. I'm like, mom, can I have these Skittles? I secretly want her to say no. She says, no, no, not today. No Skittles. Okay. I put them back. She turns around. I grab them. I put them in my pocket, sweating as much as a five-year-old can sweat. I, just like, what is going to happen? This feels so good, bad. You know, it's, she pays for whatever food she's buying. She walks out. We go out to the car. She opens the door. I'm five, so she picks me up and puts me in the car seat and she feels this bulge in my pocket and sees a red wrapper peeking out from the pocket. And she says, Caleb, did you steal those Skittles? I start bawling. <laughs> she picks me up. She marches me right back inside. Hand it to the cashier. Tell her that you're sorry. So I do it, and I'm so ashamed. But even from such a young age, there's something in me that just wanted to do bad because someone said not to. Because there's laws and rules and things that tell me not to, and so there's this darkness. There's a dark side that rises up and just wants to do the very thing. Verse 10, Paul saying, I found that the very commandment that was intended to bring life actually brought death. For sin, seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment, deceived me. So I'm duped. I'm deceived. I know up here, don't do that. And yet somehow I still want to do it. And it doesn't work out well. 
But I, I, I know what's bad in my head, and there's something in me that still wants to go down that road. And all the while, I hear the voices in my head saying, you should or you shouldn't, but you struggle, you're in trouble. I'm like, oh, there's this torturous thing in me. How can I even do this? Here's the thing to make sure that we get. The law, the rules, the law is good. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. But it exposes my bad and it does not make me better. The law is good, but it exposes my bad and does not make me better. Ten Commandments, traffic laws, like they're good things. We need them. But they don't make me not want to speed. There's something in me that wants to speed. The traffic laws just tell me what the consequence is going to be. The same with the Ten Commandments. So there's people that we just have to get the Ten Commandments back in schools. Maybe, I'm sure that there's good reasons for that. But it won't make your kids better. It's just going to expose what they do that's wrong. The law doesn't make you better. It can't. We try, we restrict, we tie up our hands, we're careful about what we say, we limit what we drink, and we become like these robotic people going through the motions, living half-lives, not fully experiencing life. And then we have the nerve to say, oh, you shouldn't, you shouldn't, you struggle, you're in trouble, while we're living our own small, miserable lives. Some of you are there right now. You maybe made a declaration and a decision. You said, I'm in for this. I'm following Jesus. I believe. I've screwed up my life enough. I'm going to go in this direction with hope and enthusiasm. But you found that the dark side didn't go away. And so part of you is like, maybe this isn't for me. Why should I keep faking it? There's still darkness in me. I still want to do bad stuff. And so you're even considering it maybe this morning. I'm not sure this whole church thing is for me. Maybe I'm not really that kind of a follower of Jesus. I just, ah, there's still too much, still too much going on. There's a famous writer named Robert Louis Stevenson. Anybody know? He's a Scottish writer. Anyone know what he wrote? Treasure Island. And he wrote Kidnapped too. Didn't even know that one. Thank you for that. You, you guys are so much smarter than me. I just know he wrote Treasure Island <laughs> and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I, those are the two things that I know that he wrote. Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde is what I want to talk about because uh, here's a little image of it. Because uh, Stevenson's, Stevenson's grandfather was a pastor. And Stevenson himself, he taught Bible studies at his church. And I think that he wrote Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde based on Romans 7, which we're going to continue to read together. I think that that novella was actually about this. It was about this tension that we're talking about. Because here's how the story goes. Dr. Jekyll is a good man. He's a kind man, a good man. He's respected in the community. He likes to do good things. He likes to serve people, but he has a dark side. And it tortures him, and he wishes that he didn't. And he concocts this potion that when he drinks it, it separates him from his dark side. So he has the good Dr. Jekyll, and then he has the dark side Mr. 
hide, right? We've all heard something about this story, even if you've not seen the old movies or read it. The good Dr. Jekyll, the dark side is Mr. Hyde. And at night when he takes the potion, Mr. Hyde comes out and he just wreaks havoc. It's shocking to Jekyll how dark Hyde really is. Hyde is appropriately termed because our darkness likes to hide, doesn't it? And so he sees, he wakes up in the morning and he sees the damage that Hyde has done overnight. He sees the chaos. He sees that he's out of control. What he thought would help him deal with his darkness has actually complicated his life because Hyde is on a rampage. And he says, I just cannot do this anymore. He can't keep going down this path. It's not working out. And I think that's what the Apostle Paul found himself when he wrote these words. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Verse 18. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it's the sin living in me that does it. It's a mouthful, but you get it, right? <laughs> I don't do the things that I should do, that I should do, and I do the things that I shouldn't do. What's wrong with me? It's like there's this Mr. Hyde in me that just wants to do bad. It's like there's this darkness that keeps rising up in me. What's wrong? Well, in Dr. Jekyll's case, he decides, I can't, I can't let Hyde just run wild anymore. This is, he's, he's tearing up our town. He's, he's going to end up costing me and people dearly. And so he says, no more potion, no more this, this thing. I can't let him go wild. Instead, I just have to really be disciplined, like me in college. I just have to really ratchet it up. I just have to wake up earlier. I just have to really get the chains on my hands and tighten them a little bit more. I have to restrict where my feet go a little bit more. I've got to, I've got to restrict my tongue a little bit more. I've got to not hang out with those people. Not, i just got to really bear down and be good and do the right stuff and work harder, make myself better. That's what I have to do. And so he starts giving more money away. He starts volunteering at more places. He fills all his waking hours with do-good activities, just showing up, trying to make himself better so that Mr. Hyde doesn't rear his ugly head and just create havoc. And so better, better, better. I got to do better, 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 better. Focus on better, better, better. And one day toward the end of his life, the story goes, he's sitting on a park bench and he's looking out over these people playing in the park. And he's recounting all the good that he's done oh man, I really turned things around. That hospital that I helped with and those people that I served and I gave money to that thing and oh, those kids playing over there, they wouldn't have that playground if it wasn't for me and he's going, and then he has this thought. You know what, I guess I'm actually better than them. I figured out how to have more willpower, how to be more disciplined, how to make myself better. And I am better than these people. And he looks down at his hands and they look familiar but not like his. And he realizes that he's become Mr. Hyde 
again. That in his religiousness, in his judgment, in his condemnation of others, in his trying to be better than other people, he actually became the same monster. Puts us in a pickle, doesn't it? There's the rebellious stuff over here. Oh, I kind of want to go and do that and play. And then there's the religious stuff over here, restricting, I'm not going to, I'm not going to. And both can make us monsters. And you know these kinds of people, these religious people, you know them. They've influenced you. Cold, judgmental, condemning. You're like, I'm around you, and you have all kinds of religious accolades, but this doesn't feel anything like Jesus. It's because in their religiousness, they've indulged the dark side. And we just don't have to play that game anymore. There is an alternative to the rebelliousness and an alternative to the religiousness. There's something else. There's something else. A power a Jesus power that you can tap into that actually changes you from the inside. That it's not about you. It's not about your willpower. It's not about your strength. It's not about your convictions. It's not about you. It's about the God who designed you, who died for humanity giving you his spirit that works its way out in you. And that, friends, is why we move on to larger venues like the Regency Movie Theater, so that more people in this city can have a seat and hear this truth, because I promise you, and you know that I'm right, most people believe that these are their only two options, don't they? Most people in our community, in our larger Orange County and Long Beach, L.A. County, believe that it's either I just do what I want and I might as well because I have a dark side that I can't contain, so I'm just going to indulge and try to minimize the consequences, or my alternative is to just strap them in and live this smaller life of restriction and try to manage and be good the best I can, and we can tell more people that it doesn't have to be that way, that there's more, there's hope, there's a power that's bigger than you. You don't have enough willpower. That'll make you turn into the monster anyway. There is hope. There is one that's stronger than you. These are the last verses here from Romans chapter 7, starting in verse 21. Paul says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. What a wretched man I am. The Apostle Paul, the famous Apostle Paul says, What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's only one thing 
that can actually truly transform you from the inside out. And that's the power of the God who created you. The same God who designed you, who breathed life into your lungs, has the power to give you new life and actually make you operate differently. That's what all of Romans 8 is about that we're going to start talking about next week. If you want to know how to tap into this power, that you don't have to be subject to the consequences of rebelliousness or the monster inside that just clings to religiousness, you're going to have to come back next week. (laughs) Would you stand with me? God, thank you that it's your power as our God, as our creator, as the designer of our souls, it's your power that is our hope. Thank you for the grace that overwhelms us even though we continuously screw up. Thank you that we can begin again each moment as we begin to learn what it means to rely on you your spirit, your strength, your power at work within us. We celebrate you this morning.